The other evening, a man from Iowa sat in my house and talked about you. He told me about the first time he came into this church. He said he felt God here. I have been associated with Timberline Church for more than 20 years, and I've actually heard that said a lot. And I know it kind of sounds like bragging, but I don't think it is. It's my favorite thing about you. It's not bragging, it's a mystery. And it's my favorite thing about the possibility of the kingdom of God that we actually can have moments when people get close to us and they feel God. I hope I never get tired of hearing about that. And I hope once in a while they say it about us, too. We're Timberline Old Town Church and Everyday Joe's Coffee House. And uh, all we really want to do is that thing. Have moments when people have been with us and they say, I don't know what it was. I felt something and I think it was God. I think it was love. That's what we want. When they drink the drinks we made for them and when our baristas look at them in the face and when they look at the art on our walls and hear the music in our buildings and when we tell them our stories about how our sloppiness bumped into the patience and grace of God, that people would walk away and say, I felt God there. These two people here are a couple people that a lot of times when I'm around them, I feel God and I'm thankful for them. This man is Mr. Chris Hess. He's Hi. the pastor and director of Everyday Joe's Coffeehouse. He's a smart businessman and a fine pastor. He has a couple things to say to you, Chris. Greetings from Fort Collins. Um, uh, Darren mentioned a lot about the kingdom of God. And Everyday Joe's is the outreach arm of Timberline Old Town. And the whole point of it is uh, to serve coffee to people, really great coffee, and put on really great shows and events as a means to getting to know our community and have relationship with them and just get to talk with them and love them and express the kingdom to them, whether they know it's the kingdom being expressed or not. And the last time we were up here in April, we talked about this desire we had to go outside of the walls at 144 South Mason in Old Town and be more in the community. And the practical application of that was a coffee catering cart. And it's turned out a little different than we thought it would, but it's still been really great. We've had opportunities with it. And in September, we were invited by Grant Family Farms uh, to go up to the Harvest Festival and make coffee for the people there. And then we've been invited by the library for the month of November once a week to come to them for their National Novel Writing Month events and make coffee. And we're going to actually be there this afternoon at the Old Town Library uh, from 1 to 5 p.m. if you want to come say hello. And our volunteers will be there. And the whole point of it is just to be loving people. We're getting to make coffee and we're getting to serve them something that's made really well and very carefully and tastes really good. But the whole point behind that is just getting to love them and serve them and show them the kingdom of God. So if you want to come down and say, hey, this afternoon, it'd be really great to see you. We're not making any money at it. We're just donating our services to it. And it's a kind of a thing of kingdom economics. But our volunteers will be there, and I've said that. They'll be loving people. And I repeat that a lot because it's important. Because it's, it's important to remember that it's about a lot more than coffee. Uh, coffee is just the means of making or getting to see some other things happen. And this is Diana Sitzman. She is the woman that mothers our volunteers and trains them and makes them feel welcome and loved because that's just as important as the people across the bar. She's going to tell you some things about the coffee house real quick. 
Uh, like Chris mentioned, we are volunteer-run, which is just par- um, part of being a nonprofit coffee house. Um, if you're interested in volunteering, we're always accepting applications. Um, we will be outside in the mall after service at Table 3, so you can come and talk to us then, or you can just stop by the shop during the week. Our hours are 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Monday through Friday, and then Saturday mornings we just started being open from 8 to noon, and then we'll open up again at 6 p.m. and be open until Um, 10 p.m. on Saturdays, Um, and we are at 144 South Mason, so it's just one block west of college between Oak and Mountain, so come come say hey either today or this week sometime. Hey, let's say thanks at Timberline Old Town and all you guys for what you're doing. God bless you. Really fun. How many of you have been able to enjoy a cup of coffee or a drink down at Everyday Joe's? It's just a wonderful facility, and and uh, and they are us. We are them. We're all one. And so please enjoy and uh, get down there, make a difference. Well, it's great to see you on a kind of a chillier weekend, <laughs> and uh, I'm just glad you made it out and to brave the storm. <laughs> I wish all storms could be this simple, don't you? But uh, I, I, you know what? I want to tell you something. I. Uh, I, I rarely do this. One of my one of my weaknesses in leadership is that sometimes I move from one event right into looking at the next one without stopping to celebrate and to go, yay, that was great. Look at what God did. And so I'm working on that. I've been working on it all year to, to pause more and reflect. And, and last weekend was a really amazing weekend around here with Orphan Care Weekend. And uh, those of you, if you weren't able to be here I'm just going to take a couple of minutes here and just give you a glimpse of, of, of some of the things that happened because it's such good news. And, and sometimes I, don't, I know it and our staff knows what happened and the numbers and the results, but, but like you don't know it. <laughs> so people ask me, what happened? Well, how much money came in the offering? What do we do? So, so let me just give you a, a few uh, thoughts about it. Um, our goal, we, we have partnered with an orphanage in Haiti called the Son of God Orphanage. And they have 130 kids. Uh, typically, it ranges from 126 to 130. But, but we brought the sponsorship cards of pictures of all those kids to the table in the mall last weekend. And I'm happy to tell you, because of you, every child in that orphanage is sponsored. Every one of them. Uh, that's just powerful. It's a huge thing. And, and it's just fun to see people say, "Well, can we get some more? Because we didn't. Get, we wanted to get." Too late. You snooze, you lose. You got to get out there. Uh, but that represents like over $53,000 a year that you guys are, are, are spending sponsoring these kids. In Kids Blast, which is our children's ministries area, those of you that have kids know this, but during the morning services last weekend, every child was given a picture of one of the children at the Son of God Orphanage to take it home to pray for them. And then they wrote notes and cards to them by name. And uh, they wrote over 500 letters to these kids in this orphanage that we're going to hand deliver next month when we take a team down there to Haiti. We did have to go through and take some of the cards out because kids are right. They write funny things and, and you can't, you know, some kids are writing stuff like, I hope you don't starve to death before you get this letter, you know, uh, things like that. So, so <laughs> you, you do, cause they know that these kids don't have the things they have. And so you have to pay attention to that. Um, we also, 
children's ministry also hosted a food packing event with an organization called Change This World. Now, this happened Sunday night during the concert. Over 140 kids participated. This was all kids doing this. They packed over 4,200 meals in four hours that will be sent to that particular, our particular orphanage. And the offering that they brought, this is the kids, they brought quarters. They've been saving quarters. They brought $1,500 worth of quarters as little kids. Yeah, it's just amazing. And I know so many of you enjoyed the concert Sunday night. Over 500 people attended with Kristen Orphan and the Finally, Finally Home Band. And, and uh, there were t- about 25 orphan care partners from all over. I mean, people driving hours to get here as leaders that we partnered with as a church. 25 organizations that made connections with hundreds of you about foster care and adopting kids that honestly only... Only eternity is going to show those connections and how that really is going to change the face of a lot of kids. And in our love offering that we took at the end of the service, you guys gave over $30,000. So let's just give God praise for some of this stuff. I'm really grateful, moved by it, deeply moved by it. So anyway, that was worth coming to church to hear all that, wasn't it? Uh, So I I think it's important for you to know what you're doing and how you're investing and the difference that we can make. Again, not in a bragging way, but for the grace of God. And we are able to partner together and what we can do together is so much better than what we can do individually. So again, thank you for your heart in all this. We're in a, a series called Esther, Who's That Girl? And if you're just joining us for the first time, we welcome you. We have built this set to look like a palace so that you can get a feel for what it was like to be Esther roaming around the halls of a palace with a king who's a madman, crazy, powerful, rich guy named King Xerxes. And then this other madman named Haman and a good guy named Mordecai and all the stuff that goes on in between. And so hopefully you're in a small group going through the study, but um, I don't have time to catch you up to the whole story. But today we get to where Haman makes some decisions that ends up really it ends up costing him his life. And and the heart of this uh, message, it's called, you know, uh, ways to get to the gallows. It wasn't actually a gallow that they hung him um, in Western style. It was actually a gallows they built for a pole. It was a spear. And they impaled him on a pole. He built this for Mordecai, if you know the story. And we're going to kind of look at that today. But I started thinking about how Haman goes from being in, in favor with the king and, and all of his wealth and all of his stuff. How can he go from that to being dead at the end of, of the chapter today that we're going to be reading. What took place? What, was, what were the decisions he made that cost him his life? Then I started thinking about my own life. And I started thinking about, started thinking about the decisions that we make often in our lives. Have you, ever, have you ever messed up your life? I mean, it's just a simple question. And, and some of you are sitting there you know, going, well... Uh, yeah, I've, I've messed it up a lot. Some of you have messed it up a little. But I think every one of us in this room could say, I, I wish I could take this back or that back. And because of God's grace, we are able to move on. Amen? And with forgiveness and, and cleansing. But, but I do have some things I wish I could take back. And, and it costs me um, anguish and, and stuff in my life that, that I, I wish I could go back and undo. And I... I learned from that that I don't want to have very many of those in my life. How about you? 
And that's what today is all about. It's how do I mess up my life? What are some things that I do to mess it up? We get to the gallows in your outline, back of the bulletin. We, we, we mess up our lives. I could have just said that or, you know, how to be impaled on a pole. But let's just say how you messed up, how you mess up your life. There are five things that Haman did that messed up his life. Number one in your outline, follow along. By seeing mostly what we do not have. We, we really do mess up our lives when we focus on the things in life that we have not, rather than the things we already have. The, the glass is half full, half empty, the whole analogy. Um, so many people develop an attitude and, and a, a strange ability to look at everything based on what they do not have. Now, I'm, I'm going to illustrate it by using Haman. All of these are illustrated by Haman. He's the bad guy in the story. Esther chapter 5 verse 9. Haman was a happy man. I love that. Was a happy man when he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. However, he restrained himself and went home. Here's what was happening. Mordecai, who was Jewish, did not have full respect for Haman and his history, his legacy. We'll see that in a little bit later in the story. So when Haman would come into the palace and Mordecai was sitting at the gate, Mordecai wouldn't stand up or act all nervous and afraid because everyone's afraid of Haman because he's so powerful. But Mordecai is at peace with himself. And, and I think Haman senses that, knows that, and he hates Haman for it. I mean, Mordecai for it. And so, so it's really important for us to understand that Haman's having a real hard time with this guy, Mordecai. He was happy until he saw Mordecai sitting at the gate. He saw what was not happening that he thought should be happening. I think we start on a journey of destruction when our focus is identifying all the things we don't have. You know, I talk to a lot of people, and one of the things that I, that I, I see this over and over, people who have a, a sense of bitterness in their life, a resentment or an angst about just life in general, it often boils back to their story being something about what they didn't have. And, and in some cases, what they had and they lost it. And they're resentful that they lost it, a dumb thing they did. Maybe it was all their fault, but they're still resentful of it. It's, it's also tied to sometimes feeling like they didn't get, get what they deserve to have. I'm underpaid. I'm overworked. I'm, no one appreciates me. It's, it's all the things. It, becomes, it just becomes this thing that really changes how they view the world. And, and that takes place in how they view God too. And I think the question under this point would be, what is your frame of mind? How, how are you going to choose to do life? By, by seeing what you don't have and you'll never have and you can't get it and they all have it and I don't? Or by what you do have and what you can go after and the dream God puts in your heart? The second thing that ruins our life, I think, and ruined Haman's was in your notes there, by becoming completely self-absorbed. And this is, in a way, part two of, of what we just said, you know, uh, because it's just getting worse in the story. The next, the next couple of verses, I want you to see what it says in Esther 5, verse 10. Then Haman gathered together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, and boasted to them about this great, his great wealth and his many children. Here we go. Here's the list. He bragged about the honors that the king had given him and how he had been promoted, notice this, over all other nobles and officials. Then Haman added, and that's not all. <laughs> 
Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us. And she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Then he added, (laughs) I love this, but this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting there at the palace gate. He, He has it all. And yet all he sees is this one thing that is it's just possessing him. It's in his mind every second. He can't get rid of it. And how does that happen to us? How do we become so driven about that one thing that drives us crazy or obsessed with taking out that one person or, or whatever it is that obsesses our lives? Haman can only think about himself. You know... Here's the question I want to ask you uh, under this point. Do people know when they're becoming like this? What do you think? I, I kind of don't think they do or they wouldn't become that way. It's almost like part of the problem or the disease is that they don't have the filter or the filters removed about how much they're thinking about themselves and what they want. Have you ever... Um, how many of you have someone in your life who, who points it out very quickly to you when you become like this? Okay, good. Thank God for them, right? Thank God for them. I, I know there's people who won't play games unless it's the game they want to play. You know, if you're going to go to a movie, you have to go to the movie they choose because cause it's all about them and, and their movie. They only participate if they make the rules. They pout when they don't get their way. They become critical, judgmental of others for almost anything. Now, aren't you glad we don't have any of those kind of people in church world? It's just so nice to have all perfect people here. Because people would never complain about the music that we have or, or you know, people coming in late to church and they actually have to move over in the row and, and, uh, and where you park and it's just, it's just not my style and the coffee's just not this and it's just not that. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, the meism in the world just gets right inside of us all. And we don't even know it's there. We don't even recognize it. Why? Because it's, it's so much the culture we live in that it's hard to identify. We, we justify those feelings. And we say it louder and we say it again if we don't get our way. And it just makes us more angry when someone points it out. So Haman doesn't have any clue that this is happening. And uh, he's totally self-absorbed. Number three, we get ourselves in trouble by listening to bad advice. Okay, now we're going we're gonna to hear some advice that, that people give him now, and I want you to listen to what they're about to counsel him to do about his problem. In verse 14 of Esther 5, So Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends suggested, Set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall, and in the morning ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. I love this line. This pleased Haman. And he ordered the pole set up. Folks, that is bad advice. And, and, and Haman didn't even, you know, you would think he would say, yeah, right, why would I do that? I, no, he bites it because it's what he wants someone to say to him. We love it when misery comes to us and they help us enjoy our misery. It's just, it's just something that we are wired to, to deal with in our lives. And I, I started, I, I made a list for me. I said, who are my advisors? 
Like, like who are the people that speak into my life? Or what is it that speaks into my life? And you know what I did? When I started making a list, and I'm a list maker on stuff like this, this is my own study, I started writing names down of people. But then I really started saying, what really influences my behavior most? Is it a what or a who? And then I started writing things down like, how influenced am I by the Colorado newspaper, the USA Today paper, uh, CNN, Fox News? How many of you know there's some strong opinions on there? <laughs> the movies I watch, television shows that I see, actors, actresses, you know, the, the wealthy people of our world. How much of their opinions get inside of my mind? Who am I listening to? Who am I reading? Some of you have strong opinions because someone you admire has that opinion. But, but maybe you know very little about the whole subject. But because they said it, it's good enough for you and it becomes your opinion. We all do this to some degree. Haman had really bad advisors that did not counsel him well. And he bought it and did it. And this was his plan. And I just think, I think of sometimes how we mess up our lives, you guys, by we let people have influence in us that shouldn't have influence in us or over us. And there needs to be a way. Some of you students, I see a lot of students here this weekend, and we, we love you, whether it's junior high, high school, college. Um, there are so many battles that you guys are in daily with your faith and your heart and your emotions and your sex life and your online life and all the things that happen in your world. And I just, I just want to say, please pay attention to who's speaking into your life and the counsel that they give you. Because it matters who you listen to. Amen? It really matters. And it will shape your future. And I don't want it to cost you greatly. I want it to benefit and add to your life. Number four. You mess up your life or end up in the gallows by refusing to change before it's too late. You see, God always makes a way of escape, but most of us are too stubborn to get it to stop before it really costs us something. As a matter of fact, sometimes the only reason we stop is because it costs us greatly. And it shakes us and jars us to the place of saying, whoa, I better pay attention to this. So here's what's going to happen. Last week we talked about how uh, the king, King Xerxes, was reading the, the journals of, of his reign, and he said, what did we ever do for that guy who saved my life? And they said, we didn't do anything for him. His name is Mordecai. And he said, well, we need to honor him then. And Haman came up with this big plan that he thought would be for himself, but it ended up being Haman parade Mordecai around on the king's horse with the king's robe. This was Horrible for Haman. It was the worst day of his life, I guarantee you. We're picking up the story when he comes back from that experience and he's coming home. In Esther 6, verse 13. When Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, Since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is, Jew is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. Now, this comes out of the blue. You don't expect to see this from his wife and his wise advisors. But here's what's happening. This battle between the Amalekites, which I'll show you in a second, and the Israelites has been going for hundreds of years. And these counselors are saying to Haman, look, 
because of his Jewish descent, there could be the favor of God on this man. And you can't touch him. You're not going to win this battle because it might be that God is on his side. That's, that's what it's, it's insinuating. And, and it's a challenging thing for Haman. I guarantee you it's an interesting concept. What, what's the point of this? The point of this is sometimes we have to pick our battles very, very carefully. And we have to sometimes pay attention to what people say. Haman is going to run right through the fence, even though these people said, you can't win this battle, Haman. He's going to plow through anyway. He's going to go against the people he calls his wise counselors. Now, there's a couple side notes that I think are really interesting here. Mordecai was an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, just follow this just for a couple minutes. Haman, in, in Esther chapter 3, verse 1, we read this weeks ago, it says this, Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Now, that's hard to say. But where does Agagite come from? It's a king. King Agag. Okay, now keep that in the back of your mind just, just for a few moments. Agag was the king of the Amalekites. Haman was an Amalekite. Does that mean anything? Well, the Amalekites go clear back to Amalek. The first battle, Amalek was a person. Amalek... The first battle that Israel had with Amalek was the famous battle where Moses holds up his arms and Joshua's fighting in the valley below. Do you remember this story? And, and Aaron and her are helping hold up his arms, and as long as his arms are up, they're winning. Guess who they were fighting? The Amalekites. And they defeat them. And, and it's interesting because that's all in Exodus chapter 17. And it says this at the, at the end of the battle. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. And he said, Jehovah has sworn, Jehovah will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. That's God talking. So this battle is not new. One other side note is this. King Saul was also from the tribe of Benjamin, just like Haman. When God told Saul to kill everyone in a certain battle, they were having battle with the Amalekites. And you remember that story when God says, kill them all. Saul goes to battle, has the favor of God, but he brings a king back. What was the name of the king? Agag. And it's a long story of what happens, but here's, here's the point that I think is really important. What does this matter? What matters is, if King Saul would have obeyed God the first time God gave him an order to do, then probably Haman and Mordecai wouldn't even have this issue and we wouldn't even be telling this story. But that's not how it happened. See, the decisions you make, this is why I think it's a powerful point. The decisions you make in your life today could affect the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. It matters because we tend to think my decisions are for me and no one else. This is private stuff. I'll do what I want. That's not true. My decisions fold over into generations. And I think it's important for us to remember that and think about that. This battle continues and it started a long time ago. Last thing. Number five, I think that we mess up our lives. We end up in the gallows by taking actions that make matters worse. You know, it's one thing to... How many of you have ever made a stupid decision? Just be honest. Okay. How many of you, that stupid decision pushed you to making a really, really stupid decision? 
See, that's where we didn't learn the lesson. But so often, that's exactly what we do. And I want to read this story. Just, just follow it. It's amazing. Verse Chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. That's Haman's doing, by the way. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale. I bet he did. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped up to his feet in a rage and he went out into the palace garden. I can see him. he's so angry. He's trembling. He can't even speak and he just gets up and he, and he runs out to the garden. Haman, however, okay, here we go, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther for he knew that the king had intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining. How many of you know this is trouble? <laughs> She's on the couch. He falls down on top of her. And guess who walks in? Yeah, the king. The king exclaimed, Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? As soon as, as uh, the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. Then Harbana, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole that he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. The end. What a crazy story. In, I want you to notice the, the line, and I'm going to say it again because it's where some of you are right now as we wrap this up. Listen carefully. When the king runs out ang- in, in his anger and Haman stands up to go plead with Esther, it says, in his despair, he fell on the couch where she was reclining. Can I just say, There are people in these auditoriums today that in your despair, you're about to do something really dumb. You're about to make another step that is not going to help you in your future. Because when we are in our despair, I'm telling you, we are not good. We're not good decision makers. And I believe that this weekend is about stopping that process in your life and saying, God, help me hit the pause button here. I don't want to harm myself or someone else or my family or my future. I need to pay attention. I want to make decisions that honor God. I want to make decisions that, that honor the things of God. So I want to pray today for those of you that are in moments where everything you do could potentially make it worse. And we don't want that for you. God has a future that is awesome for you. Trust God with your life today. 
Pray with me. Lord, I feel so much passion about this right now because I just see how Haman screwed it all up. And just one decision after another that got him killed and ended his life. And Lord, I don't want that to happen to people in this room and neither do you. Thank you, Lord, that you have a plan. A big plan for our lives. And today we rest in that truth. We need you. Settle in around us. Let the presence of God fill this room, O oh God. Open yourself up to the Spirit. Some of you need healing. Only God can make right thinking that's not healthy. In this serious moment, I'm just going to ask you to contemplate. How am I making decisions in my life? Who speaks into that? How self-absorbed am I? God, would you heal me? Would you touch me? I don't want you to raise your hand. It's embarrassing, I know. But if, if, if you just would acknowledge it to God, He knows your thoughts. Just say, God, that's me. I, I don't want my life to revolve just around me. And I want to make decisions that honor you and the kingdom of God. Forgive me and cleanse me. Help me to think right so I can act right. It's God who does that, you guys. It's not something you can do without Him. It's something you can only do with Him and through Him. He wants that in your life. And I want us to do one last thing. Lord, we give you our future. Just tell Him that. Just say, Lord, I give you my future. You have a plan. Someday when my great, 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 great grandkids are looking through the family tree to figure out our history, may they come across my name and may they know I was a godly person who walked in honor of God. Thank you, Lord. And for those who don't know you at all today, God, and they've wandered in here for whatever reason, I just pray that right now you'll make a connection with them that will stick, bear upon their heart your love, your grace. Let them know we love them already. And you love them first. And they can only reach their greatest potential by running to the person who created them, Almighty God. So we say, forgive us and cleanse us, O God, for our own sin. The issues that separate us from you. We accept it by faith. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. I want our prayer teams in both auditoriums that they would come now. Hey, maybe you just want to connect with someone and have a prayer moment with them. Come on up. Don't forget the tables in the mall. Lots of activity, stuff to sign up for. Get involved. Make a difference. And as I'm going to say for a few weeks, if I remember it, the service starts now. God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend. We got Alicia back.